I describe trust as the oxygen of an organization in terms of, you know, without it, it's hard to breathe, but you inject it and everything can happen. I'm Dr. Mark Rowe and welcome to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. As a family physician, my expertise is supporting people in the areas of positive health and lifestyle medicine. Join me in conversations that share life lessons, health habits and leadership practices focusing on positive psychology, lifestyle medicine, and ways that enable you to live with more vitality on purpose. Appreciating that when it comes to your vitality, that everything is so interconnected. Episodes will air weekly, and you can find me wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, on my website, drmarkrow.com. Welcome to In the Doctor's Chair, where today I'm looking forward to the first of our mini-series with CEOs of national and multinational organizations. We're having conversations about leadership, organizational health, and well-being, while tapping into the future of work as we navigate the return to the office post-COVID-19. Paul Kelly, CEO of Falta Ireland, the National Tourism Development Authority, is the first to join me for this mini-series. In the Doctor's Chair. Welcome, Paul. If you're a leader who recognizes, particularly since COVID-19, that living with vitality and building a more resilient mind matter now more than ever for you and your team, then this podcast is for you. For further details, visit drmarkrow.com. So I'm delighted to be joined by Paul Kelly, CEO of Falta Ireland this morning. Welcome, Paul, to the podcast. Thank you very much, Mark. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. You know, the last 18 months or so have been extremely tough with the challenges of the COVID pandemic. And I would think particularly so for people working in tourism across Ireland. Paul, how has this affected how you lead throughout this challenging time? It's obviously been, you know, phenomenally challenging for uh, for all of the people who run tourism businesses or who work in tourism businesses that effectively they went from operating at the highest ever capacity as a sector that they had uh, with a record year in, in 2019 and facing into an incredibly bright prospects for 2020 in terms of as we looked at the forward projections to to all of a sudden practically overnight have their businesses shut down um, you know wasn't any kind of gradual decline uh, you know as, 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 as I said it was like it was it was four or five times the size of the financial crisis in terms of the hit on the industry and it happened immediately as opposed to over a number of years um, so really difficult uh, for for the sector in terms of um, uh, you know I suppose you know in terms of how it impacted what what we did was you know we, we really quickly appreciated that this was the scale it was. Um, I think we, as a management team within Fulch Ireland, we 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 kind of had a sense of uh, how long it was going to be and how there was a lot of people who kind of thought, oh, this will be six weeks or you know a couple of months and we'll back back up and running. We we didn't think that at the time. Um, we we were much more concerned about how long it was going to go on. So we we pivoted quite quickly into um, into all of the things we needed to do and to change to support the sector and to meet the, the challenges that were uh, that 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 were facing us. Um, and uh, I think that was uh, you know um, that that was that was the key thing about just being you know really agile, really quick about changing. We were you know. I remember it, there was a couple of, of key moments, I think I remember at the beginning of the crisis. Uh, one was before 
it was kind of reported that it was in Ireland. We kind of heard from the airlines. That was very helpful. The other thing I remember at the time was, you know, advice from people who had been in Fulch, Ireland through the financial crisis, who had kind of said, look, the key here is get really close to industry, stay really, really close to industry, understand what their what their experience and what their concerns are, and, and then you can move quickly. And and they were, I suppose, kind of two of the, two of the things. I suppose the, the other thing was that I remembered from, it was very helpful, I think, in terms of to have an understanding. I grew up in a small family business in Wexford. Uh, and during the, during the, the, uh, the, you know, the mid to late eighties, that, that business had, um, had serious financial troubles, you know, in terms of, and we went through, uh, you know, we went through periods of bankruptcy and, and, and my, I was quite young at the time, but I remember, I remember the stress and the difficulty that was for my parents. Uh, and I remember what that was like and what it's like to be in a business and that kind of scenario, where as a business owner, it's not just your income, it's your family savings. You've kind of plowed everything you've made in your life into your business and you keep reinvesting it and keep reinvesting it. And, 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 and the sense of, you know, uh, stress and, and despair that when you see all that washing away in front of your very eyes, um, you know, I, I had some personal understanding of that. And I think that also, you know, played a factor in how, you know, in, in the values that I had going into this uh, and, and, and to have to help industry through it because of that sense of, of, of challenge. Well, there's no doubt, Paul, in life, we all grow from our experiences. What kind of family business was that that your family was involved in? It was it was a it was a, a, an independent electrical retail. So we sold my father sold, you know, televisions and, uh, and, 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 and hi fi's and fridge freezers and stuff like that. Um, and it was just a very difficult time in Ireland in the late 70s, early 80s, mid 80s. And, and uh, you know, and, and we just got into, you know, we just got into some financial difficulties. And but, you know, uh, worked, you know, uh, worked worked our way out of it and got back on on, on level footing and uh, and just kind of uh, kept going and, and could see that businesses could recover. Um, uh, uh, but you know, so I've been been in a position in Fort Ireland where we had some resources, not nearly as much as we would have liked, but some resources to help industry through it. I was I was determined that we deployed those resources as well as we could uh, to help businesses that were now through no fault of their own. Uh, facing this horrendous financial crisis. Mm, I mean, it was it was such a change, and I think, you know, to have that inbuilt resilience from from your own childhood and, and early formative years must have really stood you in great stead. You know, where do you think you're? Obviously, as you said yourself, you pivoted very quickly and early. You took a kind of a longer term, broader perspective on on the COVID pandemic. Where do you think that all came from? Fundamentally, it came from. Uh, as, a, as an organization with a great team in Fulch, Ireland, and a, a team that have got really good relationships with all of the people in industry that, that, that we work with, and, um, and a team that are really committed to doing all, all we can. You know, we, we describe our mission in Fulch, Ireland as to, to maximize the contribution tourism makes to the economic, social, cultural, and environmental life in Ireland. Mm, I like that. And a, team, and a team that's really committed to that. Uh, and we, you know, we knew that the, the most important thing was we've got to we've got to keep the supply side of the tourism economy intact and alive because we know recovery will come and it is coming now. But if the supply side disintegrated, it would be a lot slower and it would be a lot longer before people. If there wasn't companies to employ people, it'd be a lot longer for people to get back to work. So it was all about trying to keep those companies alive. Um, and, uh, and we've got a great team in Fall Jardin who are very um, uh, you know, 
expert in terms of their ability to uh, to get and to provide advice to businesses uh, in terms of understanding what businesses need and feeding that in and uh, enabling us to do the right kind of analysis and advocacy on, on, on behalf of industry and to wider government, et cetera, um, uh, into, you know, and just an ability to work across all of the different bodies we needed to work with. Um, uh, and, and, and just that, that, that sense of, proactivity and willing to step up. There was no sense at any stage of, um, that's not my job. One of the things I remember saying at, that, at the beginning of, of the pandemic to the team in Falls Church, I said, look, we, we will deal with this as, um, we will deal with this as citizen first, citizens first, public sector, uh, um, uh, public service employees secondly, and Falls Ireland employees third. So I said, you know, we, we'll, we'll do whatever we, we're not going to get into whether that's our job or not our job. We'll do whatever it is we can to help. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and that response was, you know, we, we, we had people who worked with the Department of Social Protection to help process the, the, the original tranche of wave of massive amount of pandemic unemployment payments. Our marketing team did, did lots of communications work for the HSE in terms of the whole firm. It was our marketing team in Falls Ireland that worked with the agencies and the HSE to develop that whole firm, uh, whole campaign um, uh, through and, and, and the Keep Your Distance campaign. So because we had really strong marketing people on top of all the work we did to support the, the, the industry. So it was just that sense of we're going to do whatever we can, mm. uh, applying our the skill sets we have, to help support, uh, to help support and get get Ireland through the pandemic. I really like that can do philosophy and and sort of the, the broader sense that we're all in this together. And I mean, I often think you know tourism is such a fabulous asset that we have here in Ireland, such an intangible. And you know, just during the summer, my family we went to Inish Ear from from Doolan. We had a beautiful day, and I was really so impressed with the with how the whole thing worked and uh, how beautiful the Iron Islands are and what a professional setup there was. And there's so much of that, the length and breadth of the country. And it's something I think we really need to cherish going forward because it's something we can have for many thousands of years going forward if, if we value it appropriately. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in terms of the, the value of tourism is, is massive in terms of sustainable communities all around the country, you know, places that you know just couldn't survive as communities if there wasn't the employment that that tourism brings and the revenue that tourism brings in, in, into those communities. And, and, and the island communities uh, off the west coast are, are, are a great example of that. I suppose the one thing that, that people need to address that doesn't happen by accident. You know, in terms of there's a lot of work we do a lot of work with all the communities along the Wild Atlantic Way and all the tourism things throughout the country, but also and on, on the islands and stuff, trying to help them to offer that professional service. You know, if you take your, your example of your 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 Doolin to Inishir example, you know, it wasn't that long ago that there wasn't a proper pier in Doolin and you could only get in and out of Doolin if the tide was a certain way. And and the construction uh, by, you know, by the state through the Clare County Council and others, the construction of the of a non-tidal pier in Doolin has massively uh, increased the tourism of both West Clare and the Aran Islands. And um, so, you know, in terms of so that, there was somebody long before my time, somebody had the foresight to, to see that and to put that in place. So all of that enabling infrastructure, really important, doesn't happen by accident, takes a lot of planning and a, and a lot of, a lot of, 
hard work to deliver that kind of thing. Well, I'm sure it does. Absolutely. And the other reflection I had, Paul, this summer more than any other was this whole notion of what is or who is a tourist? Because I would have always thought when you heard, read about tourist reports, etc., busloads of Americans or or people from Japan or wherever, whereas these were almost all Irish people uh, exploring parts of the country they maybe had never seen before. And I think that's fantastic to really value and cherish what's on our own doorstep. Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, the definition of a tourist is, is kind of, you know, it's about kind of taking a non-discretionary trip uh, as, you know, sorry, taking a discretionary trip as opposed to a non-discretionary trip. So and generally you'd define it as somebody who would spend an overnight. But interestingly, particularly this year, we saw, you know, that even the value of, of the daycations, particularly in the cities, uh, um, was was significant um, in terms of, you know, the, the extra revenue that brought to visitor attractions and to restaurants and bars and stuff. You know, you, even that vacation, people going out for a few hours during the day uh, to see somewhere. So it's a very broad definition of tourists, not just overseas, but really important in, in the Irish context that before COVID, 70% of the revenue did come from overseas tourists. And even though, you know, we can have a booming domestic economy for a couple of months during the summer, as we have had in the last two years, you know, there is no way that comes anywhere near making up for the revenue loss of the 70% uh, of that revenue that comes from overseas visitors. So we um, we desperately need the overseas visitors back. Uh, we know that next year, you know, we're unlikely to have a stronger domestic tourism economy because there's a lot of people that are that have kind of put off foreign holidays that are that are, you know, um, really looking forward to getting abroad next year. Um, so, you know, we we won't have that level of kind of captured market from the domestic economy next year. Uh, and uh, uh, so we, we desperately need to get the overseas visitors back as well. Absolutely. Just moving on a little bit, Paul, can, you know, post-COVID, as we emerge from the pandemic, in terms of hybrid working, uh, what may that mean for your own organisation in terms of the employee experience? Um, we're we're still working through that, um, but we're... Um, uh, you know, I, I've I've always been, you know, of, of, a, of a view of saying, I don't care where you do your work or how long it takes you to do your work. Just get your work done, you know, and, and get your work done in a way that works for you, but works for all the people that you need to work with. And I think, I suppose, in terms of what I think we've all learned through the pandemic, particularly is for, you know, other than obviously people who have to be in a certain location for their work because they're working in a retail shop or they're working in a bar and a restaurant, you know, they're, they're, they're anchored to a location. But for people who are, you know, office-based work, I think we've all learned the that where you do your work isn't really very important. And I think you know, we've all been forced as as a as employers to trust our employees more, um, and that's a great thing. You know, in terms of uh, and and I think you know certainly it's been our experience in, in, in Fulcher that, uh, and I think for most organisations, you know, in terms of that trust has been really well 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 repaid by by employees in terms of because because for okay there, there there'll always be the odd exception, but in a vast majority of cases. Um, you know, there was, there was, you know, people, you know, did more work because they're away from the office as opposed to less work. Um, and people designed the work around their own commitments, etc. Uh, I remember we've had kind of, kind of times when, when there wasn't, when all childcare was closed and stuff like that, you know, people were saying, I want to work a couple of hours at night after the kids have gone to bed because I can focus my I've got young kids and I can focus more and stuff like that. So actually my most productive hours are between, 
you know, eight o'clock and 10.30 at night. So I'm going to put my head down and work for those hours. And I'm going to take a couple of hours off during the day um, uh, to, to mind the kids when I need to mind the kids, you know. Um, so it's just about, um, uh, I think, you know, trying to keep as we move back towards the hybrid working, it's it's trying to, to um, it's trying to just design the work, design kind of the where and when in the most efficient and effective way possible that it works for, um, it, it works, people have lives outside work and make sure their work fits in around their lives will make them better at work. So it's trying to, um, it's trying to design in a way that, that does that, but also design it in a way that means that, you know, all the collaboration that's needed, all the inter interactions that are needed between people can all still happen and happen efficiently and people not be wondering, uh, you know, oh God, will, 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 will anybody be available for a meeting at this time? You know, so it's just trying to get, get that balance right. And we're still working, we're still working through it. Um, uh, and I think it'll be a mixture of certain core hours that we say, look, you know, in terms of, we, and, and, uh, um, uh, and then flexibility around hours and then around say, look, you know, this is the stuff that is ideally done face to face. And this is the stuff that can be still done, done virtually. Absolutely. I think the word tr trust is such an important word. Uh, I see trust as in, in ways being like the glue that, you know, builds and cements interpersonal relationships. And it brings me to culture, Paul. I mean, in terms of the importance of culture in, in an organization, how do you see culture? Culture is everything and trust is everything. I describe trust as the oxygen of an organization in terms of, you know, without it, it's hard to breathe, but you inject it and everything can happen. Um, and, um, you know, it, if you just think about the more, the more people trust each other, the more you can get done as an organization. If you're not, if you don't need to check and cross check and, 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 and get everything, you know, in terms of and have somebody looking over other people's shoulders, it, that just takes capacity out of an organization. If people can, can trust, if managers can trust their, their teams and the teams can trust management and peers can trust each other, so much can, can be done. But that requires real work and real investment. It doesn't just happen. It kind of can happen in small teams on its own. But once you get into large teams and once you get into large complex tax, tasks, people don't see all of the things on somebody else's radar. And then they see a part of it and they don't understand that part. And that leads to an erosion of trust. And they kind of go, well, why is that person doing that? And they jump into some form of inference about why somebody is doing something that can be a negative thing and that can erode trust. So it's really, really it takes a lot of work to build trust in, in an organization. And we've done a lot of work on that over the last uh, four or five years in Fulcher Ireland. And we, we've, we've gone from being, you know, a, a, a kind of not a, not a particularly high trusting organization into a very high trusting organization into, we've got into kind of, you know, one of the best places to work on, on, um, on the great places to work scheme uh, from a place where we weren't even qualified as a great place to work. We've, we've kind of, we've got now, you know, the most trusted leadership uh, award, et cetera. So, um, you know, it, it takes a, it takes a lot of a lot of investment uh, in management time uh, to build that trust and, and 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 a lot of constant attention uh, to it and listening to your employees and understanding whether you have their trust or not. Um, and, but but I, I it it pays off so much in terms of what you can deliver and the quantity of things you can do as an organization. 
In terms of health and well-being, Paul, is that something that Fall to Ireland invests in? Yeah, we, we have uh, we have seven core values uh, and one of our values is care. Uh, and that is about, you know, care for care for for for, for everyone in terms of, um, uh, you know, and obviously kind of the, the, the first step in that care is care for our staff. Because if we care for our staff, then, you know, enables our staff to care for our visitors and enables our staff to care for our industry, our staff to care for all the other stakeholders they have to work with. Um, so, and, and as part of that, we have a, we have a very comprehensive, we just launched actually kind of a comprehensive Fulcher's way of ways of wellness, um, a program where we look at, you know, all of the different aspects of wellness, um, you know, in terms of, um, uh, you know, health, obviously physical health, mental health, financial, um, uh, financial health kind of um, we call it kind of uh, ethos and, and 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 soulful kind of kind of health, and um, uh, so we and we we so we look at all of those uh, and we have programs in place to uh, to help employees if they're you know if they're looking for support in in, in any of those. So we we plan and that's been one of the one of the things I suppose that you know in terms of one of the hardest things. To do and part of our role as a senior management team across the pandemic was to try and constantly prioritize and to reduce the amount of things people wanted to do not to be asking them to do more but to be trying to take stuff off the list because there was you know people were there was so much change happening and so much quantity of work just going on that you know we were really uh risking burnout and you know in terms of uh um uh, from from a staff welfare point of view so managing that is absolutely top priority for us is that absolutely is that something you've you've seen paul in your in your years of work burnout um i think uh i have uh i have seen it but i suppose in terms of the things that cause it tend to be tend to be the negative things as opposed to too much of the positive things you know so you know it is um, if there's if there's a wrong environment, if there's a lack of trust, um, if there's things weighing on people, then that you know that really reduces the capacity that people have to get stuff done um, because it just sucks so much of the energy out of people. Mm-hmm. So you know, in terms of the so releasing the energy, releasing our own energy as as individuals, and releasing the energy of of the people we work with, I, I think is the biggest thing you can do to to counteract burnout. Uh, is to is to is to is to inject more energy because our, our capacity as humans is, is phenomenal. I think we've seen that across the pandemic. You know, when people when people um, you know need to step up to their mark, they're, they're, the capacity that we have, we only on a day-to-day basis, I believe we only we only scratch the, the surface of our real capacity as, uh, as as humans. And when people face adversity, you can see what they can do. So it's 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 taking it's trying to take away the things that limit our capacity. I think is is one of the big jobs of of, of management. I think you're dead right. I mean, the term I would use is living with vitality. And for me, vitality is a very vibrant, positive term that interconnects mind, body, emotion and spirit, all underpinned, not just by a strong sense of purpose, but also the environments that you spend your time in. And of course, the work environment can be either a health enhancing or a health depleting environment. So as you said, it's to take away those those negatives and, and create a positive culture that empowers and supports people to respond to challenges and be at their best. Yeah. 
I mean, uh, look, we've, we've probably all experienced, I certainly know that there, 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 there are times when I've sat down to, you know, I've had a 60-page document that I've had to read kind of thing. And there's a times when I've read a 60-page document, I've come away incredibly exhausted and, and de-energized. And there's other times I'm reading a 60-page document that I'm coming away full of energy, more energy than I had when I started. You know, so, um, and, and it is, and, and the same with meetings and the same, so it's, it's you know, work doesn't have to be exhausting, you know, in terms of it can be energizing. That's, you know, it can, you know, I've never found a place where every meeting and every document and every conversation is always energizing. But I think it's it's that sense of can can you get more, the more of those work type tasks you do, if they can, if people can come out of doing each of those with more energy than they walked into that meeting, then, and that's the key and that, that gives that gives that vitality you talked about. Absolutely. And I mean, I was really interested to hear you talking about sort of self-care in terms of if, if fall to Ireland, people take good care of themselves, they're better able to support their customers because it's something I speak about in health all the time. And particularly for physicians, you know, Maya Angelou put it so well, you know, that brilliant American poet that we have two hands in life. One hand is to reach out and support others. And the other hand is to reach back and take good care of yourself because, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup, as they say. And really, it does start with the very basic premise of, of taking good care of yourself. Do you think, Paul, that, that organized, from an organizational point of view, that employees and, and, and potential talent that are looking at Fall to Ireland are interested now in, in, in the health and well-being proposition that you will support them with and how you value and express well-being through your culture? Uh, I think I think they are. I'm not sure if if they'd express it that way. Yes, I think I think the uh, I think things people are looking for is they they're, they're absolutely looking for a sense of um, will that be a good place to work? Will I enjoy working there? And you know what are the people? that I'm going to be working with, what are they going to be like? Are they going to be people that I want to work with? Are they going to wait, work in a way that I want to work? So I think people absolutely look for that now. They, they're, they're, you know, um, they are, they appreciate that there's more in life than just how big is the paycheck, you know, at the, at the end of the day, that, um, that, you know, it's what's the working environment like. So that's where the whole culture uh, thing comes in, in terms of sort of, sort of, and, and part of that is, is their mental wellness, you know, in terms of if you're working in somewhere where there's a corrosive culture or um, where, you know, that the, there isn't high levels of integrity, then that's going to be, um, that's going to erode people's mental wellness. So they might not describe it as mental wellness. They might just describe it as, is it a nice place to work? Is it, you know, I think they're looking for that. I think they're also looking for, you know, can I, can I work there in a way that works with the rest of my life? You know, in terms of given where I live, my family circumstances, the other things going on in my life. Can, you know, how does that fit in with, uh, with, with, uh, with that? So I think people are, are looking for that. And I think there will be a lot of people who, you know, will previously maybe have, have lived in cities that are now kind of going, well, I, I don't need to live in a city anymore to do my work. I can, I can live, you know, in, in a beautiful spot in West Mayo and, I can, and I've worked there for the last year and a half. And if now my company is telling me I have to move back to Dublin, Dublin's a great place to live, but, but you know, I have to move back to Dublin or I have to move back to London or whatever. They'll probably go, well, I'll find someone who won't tell me that. I'll find someone who will say, no, no, we're based in London, but you can still live in West Mayo and still work and, and, and still work from there. Um, I think, you know, I think the employers that offer that are going to get competitive advantage 
uh, versus the employers that don't, and they're going to get better people uh, because of that competitive advantage. Yes, I think it comes back to that word agility that you mentioned early on in our conversation to, to stay agile and to stay open. Paul, how do you stay healthy yourself? Not not healthy enough. <laughs> I'm aware of that. But uh, no, look, I I, um, uh, I generally, um, I, I walk. I try to get out, get out for, for walks. I used to do a lot more running and cycling and swimming and stuff like that. I always have to get, get back into do a bit more than that. I do a bit of sailing as well, uh, dinghy sailing, which is which is kind of energetic and and they get me, gets me out in the fresh air and stuff. So I would describe myself as, you know, uh, active as opposed to sporty, you know, in terms of when I, you know, when I take time off, I, I don't, you know, I don't like sitting around doing nothing. I prefer to be up on a bike on a greenway or, you know, out uh, hiking a, a coastal path or up a mountain or something. So generally, generally just that sort of. Have you had a chance to do our, our beautiful greenway down here in Waterford yet, I wonder? I have. Yes, I have indeed. And it is, it is a fabulous, it is a fabulous greenway. Uh, and um, I do, uh, I do have my two younger boys. We've got twins. They're now 13. But for the last three or four years, we've done a, we've done a, a, um, a, a, a dads and boys greenway trip every summer. So it's one of our kind of little little staples, and 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 I think I think the Waterford Greenway was the first one we did. Oh no, sorry, the the Ackle, uh, the Great Western Greenway to Ackle was the first one, and the Waterford was the second one. So we're we're looking forward to to all the greenways that we're currently working on developing with with our colleagues in the Department of Transport and all the local authorities uh, to come on stream, uh, so we can we can keep going on our on our greenway trip. So a different one every year. Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, I think the greenways are just such a great example of how environments can be reimagined and re-engineered and redesigned to support a you know a greener future and a more sustainable future for 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 Irish people in particular. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, in t- in terms of mentoring, Paul, have you? benefit from mentoring yourself i mean obviously your formative experiences in your childhood years in terms of your family business have really built a really foundation of resilience for you but in terms of your career after that have you have you been a beneficiary of mentoring yeah i've i i've i have um i've worked with i've worked with some brilliant people um and uh, lots and lots of brilliant people and i'm still working with brilliant people and and i've had you know in terms of some uh you know some 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 great some great lessons uh, and i think one of the one of my favorite phrases was um <laughs> there was one particular boss i had that 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 um that i was uh, that that wasn't the kind of culture that that i wanted to work in and was was i was finding challenging and and a friend of mine handed me a book the art of happiness by the dalai lama oh yes and he said read that <laughs> And there was a great phrase in it at one stage that you can learn something from everyone. And if you come across someone you're not learning anything from, they're teaching you patience. Brilliant. Which I thought was, <laughs> was, was, was a great, but, but that you can learn something from everyone. So, you know, when we talk about mentoring, I mean, I learn from everyone I work with. It's not just kind of, you know, senior people mentoring you, you know, in terms of it. Loads of people every day in the Fulch Ireland team are, are, I'm learning from in terms of their take on something, their approach to how something is done. Even in your family life, my wife, my kids, you know, in terms of the the, the things. I think it's just to be 
constantly open. It's great to have mentors that kind of, you know, the, 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 the thinking of the people that, uh, that, that can help mentor you. But, but it's amazing where you draw stuff from in different, in different settings where, where you put stuff out. And, and people you don't, interesting, you know, people you don't get along with at a, at a particular point in time can, can be some of the best mentors. You know, when you go, okay, well, you know, that person is quite different from me. And I actually had lots of problems with what they were doing. But what can I learn from how they approach things? Trying to be open to that and, and mm-hmm. just being, being willing to draw on it and thinking always about whatever the circumstance or situation is kind of thinking about, who'd be a good person to ask about this now? For me, anyway, it's not about having one or two people. It's kind of going, well, depending on what the challenge is or what the problem is, is to think about who'd have a good perspective on that now? Who might have bumped it into that before or that sort of issue? And uh, and then just being willing to, and people are great at, you know, I don't think, I don't think I've ever had anyone kind of say no to, could you give me a bit of advice on this, please? Uh, I'm bumping into this issue. People are great at, at, at trying to help each other. Like I that. think that's a great point. You know, I mean, Eastern philosophy often talks about, you know, having a mindset that's open to everything and attached to nothing or attached to nothing. And staying, staying open and staying curious. I mean, I would often say that in all my years working as a doctor, I've learned and continue to learn so much from my patients, from people I meet. As you said, Paul, everybody can teach us something. And uh, for me, every day is a learning day. I learn so much from the people I meet. Yeah, just say, that was the Dalai Lama that said that, not me. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I, won't, well, I won't dare take credit for his quote. <laughs> that's okay. But, but you see, you've, you've embodied his wisdom in your own actions. So that's, for me, that's even better. <laughs> Finally, Paul, you know, we spoke about resilience uh, throughout the podcast. Uh, what would your three take-homes be for a resilient mind for our listeners? I think there's, I think there's, there's, a, there's a couple of things. Uh, first of all, I'd say, you know, the phrase strong trees don't grow in light winds. Like that. When you're facing those strong, those strong winds is to remember, you know, they are making you stronger. So it's, it's, it's somewhere in the back of your mind to kind of go, I'll get through this and I will, um, and I'll come out stronger. Um, another, another thing I suppose is, is, um, the, uh, is that I once went down on, 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 on an adversity training course and they talked about, they talked about core, which is, you know, a control outcome, reach and endurance. Uh, and, and the, uh, and that's the way to kind of face into, 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 into adversity is, is to, Accept what you can control and what you can't control. Influence the outcomes you can influence. But then really important is to think about reach and endurance. Quite often, if people come across adversity, uh, it tends to, they tend to let it take over their full lives sometimes. And they don't put it into the right perspective. So how much of this life, how much of my total life is this uh, is this thing going to impact? What's its reach? Like, uh, this is a work problem. So if you're facing into a work problem, you go, this is a work problem. It's only a work problem. It doesn't affect my family life. It doesn't affect my health. You know, it, it's only a work problem. So keep that perspective. Um, and, and then the endurance of how long is this going to go on? Because sometimes people think, oh, it's going to make everything terrible forever. <laughs> and they go, no, it's not. It's going to make this little thing hard for a little while. <laughs> Uh, and, and, and it doesn't affect the other stuff. So keeping that perspective on, on reach and endurance, I think, is, is, is another one. And then I suppose it, it's just about agility. It's about being flexible. Like, like, once again, like the trees, 
that 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 face those strong winds they're able to bend you know and if you're not able to bend you'll be blown down so you've got to be able to 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 be flexible uh not to be not to be rigid uh to to be able to 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 adjust and and and, and sway uh, so that you can survive. Well, you know, I love spending time in nature and the Mount Congreve Gardens are very close to where I live. And for me, they're my creative laboratory. And I think that's a wonderful way to end this engaging podcast, Paul, thinking about the resilience that being more like a tree can bring to your life in terms of agility and resilience and, you know, not to ca- catastrophize, to keep things in context and have that sense of perspective and wisdom. Paul, it's been a great pleasure having you. Keep leading, keep inspiring and keep flying the flag for Ireland and fall to Ireland and our vibrant recovering tourist industry. Thanks a million. Thanks so much for your time, Mark. Thank you for listening to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. For further resources to support you to live with more vitality, please visit my website, drmarkrow.com. 